You have something else in mind. Uh, his, his son Absalom was coming after him because he, he wanted to be king. So he, his plan was to kill David, and he had rallied a pretty good-sized army and was coming after David. And so David writes these words, O oh Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. So many are saying, God will never rescue him. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory and the one who holds my head high. I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept, yet I woke up in safety, for the Lord was watching over me. I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. Arise, O Lord, rescue me, my God. Slap all my enemies in the face. And here's where he shatter the teeth of the wicked. So, David is in trouble. Got this big problem. His son Absalom wants to be king. And, of course, that means David, who is king now, is in the way. An army is coming and things aren't looking good. And David looks around and all he can see are his problems. So right off the bat, I wonder if you might be able to relate, some of you. Where you are right now, you look around and you can see problems on every side. I was recently in Republic, Washington. I don't know if anybody knows where Republic is. Republic is just west of here, um, maybe a little north also. And Republic is a little town close to other towns that you've heard in the news lately. You've heard of OMAC and Colville and Tenasket. Why have you heard of these? Because there are wildfires all over in that area. So our family was staying at this guest ranch and the fires were around and it was a little tense, actually, because there was a fire just south of us headed that direction. And uh, one night we had driven from Grand Coulee in the south and, and driven back up to the guest ranch that night. And about 10 miles south of the guest ranch, I stopped on the highway. And up on the mountain to our left was just this bright red glow and you could see the fire just right not too far away. Well, as we drove on, I thought, well, good. The fire is still 10 miles away. You know, we're all right. And uh, this, this guest ranch with all of their animals and their beautiful lodge and all of that, they're going to be okay for now. Well, as we pulled into the driveway of the guest ranch, it was dark and uh, and. I saw the lodge, and the hill directly behind the lodge, there I saw the glow. The fire wasn't 10 miles away. It was about two miles away. And I stood outside on, on the balcony of our room that night, looking up at the glow of the wildfire, praying for rain, and my mind went back to another time that I was praying for God to intervene. It was 1993, 
and the Missouri River was washing everything in its path away in what they called a 500-year flood. Char's mom and dad had bought a bed and breakfast and on this scenic spot, right near the Missouri River. Um, and that year, Char and I had gone to go help restore and rebuild and all of that. And shortly after we got there, uh, the rain started up north in Iowa. And every day, predictions came in. We had this guy on the radio that was just, his name was Ted D. And he was the—he was just a great naysayer. Uh, oh, it's going to be terrible. Um, so every day, these predictions came in. And uh, how high would the water get? And when did they expect it to get that high? And with each new higher prediction, I prayed and prayed that it would quit raining and the water would recede. And every time I prayed, the water got higher. And the predictions got worse. Now, I don't know if you can relate to any time like that in your life. Maybe you face trouble, and in the face of trouble, you've run to God only what seems to like a non-answer. What's the deal? Well, let's jump back to uh, Psalm chapter 3. David says, Oh Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. So many are saying God will never rescue him. Now, what does that mean for David? God will never rescue him. Do you remember who was king before David? Anybody remember this? Saul was king before David. And do you remember Saul started out pretty good? He, he started out as a good king. He started out trusting God. But before too long, the idea of being king kind of went to his head. And he was no longer obedient to God. And as a result, God removed him and put David in his place. You see, God didn't rescue Saul. And now, people are saying, David, look, same thing is happening to you. God is not going to rescue you. What's on, line, what's on the line for David? Everything, really. His job, his respect, even his, his life. I mean, in that day, kings don't just quietly uh, go away to retirement. Uh, that doesn't happen. They're going to kill him first. So all these people are saying... You must have done something wrong, David. God is not going to rescue you. Now into all of that backdrop of trouble, I, I want to throw a familiar verse. verse that many of us have memorized from the, a New Testament verse. Philippians 4.6. It says, Do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. How does that work? You take David, you take trouble all around, and you have do not, be, do not worry about anything. Is that even possible? Is this just a nice saying that doesn't work in real life? Is it a kind of a guilt-producing passage that points out that we don't have enough faith because we're anxious about something? Well, I have to confess that it it didn't work in my life as I watched the Missouri River devour everything in its path. I would 
worry my prayers. I'm not even sure I could call it prayer. I think maybe it would be better to say I, I worried in God's direction. Oh God, do you realize that it's still raining in Iowa? God, do you, do you know what happens when water goes downstream? Do you have a plan for this, God? What, what is going on here? So where's this disconnect between these difficulties that we experience and Philippians 4, 6? Do not worry about anything. Or, to ask it a different way, have you ever prayed your heart out and came away still worried? What's the problem? I think there's an important key in another part of Scripture, another place that's familiar, that will unlock this problem. And it's found when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. I'm sure most of you have this memorized. Our Father, who art in heaven... That's right. Hallowed be thy name. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean for God's name to be hallowed? It's kind of an odd old English word. How can that be a key to what we're talking about here with peace and trouble and all of that? Well, to hallow something is to treat it as sacred and and ultimate. That which you hallow is your ultimate concern. It's the supreme aim of your life. And the reason that it's right up here in front of the Lord's Prayer is that the rest of the prayer only works if you get this part right. Okay, so the rest of the Lord's Prayer is only going to work if you get this hallowed thing in the right place. Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything. It only works if you get this hallowed part right. We all hallow something. There is something in your life and mine that is first. Something that is your only ultimate concern. Now, now you might say, I'm not sure if I buy all of this God stuff, and I'm not sure that, that God is, is that important to me, and so I'm not sure that the hallowed stuff applies. I would argue that there is something in your life that you hallow. Something that is first. Well, how do you find out? How do you know what that something is? Well, I need to, I need to tell you that um, this idea comes from a book by a pastor named Tim Keller who wrote this book on prayer. And great book, you should pick it up. But here's what he has to say. He says it's easy to find out what your ultimate concern is. What you do in secret tells you who your God is. When you are alone, what do you spend your time thinking about? What occupies your thoughts and your dreams? When everything else is quiet, what captivates your attention? Is it something that you wish you could have? Is it something that you have but you're worried about losing? Is it a goal or a dream That is what is first for you. Another confession today. I'm on a confession roll. I've often struggled with an inconsistent prayer life. 
at times I get really motivated to pray and I, I do really well. And, and th- while that high ebb lasts, I feel like my prayer life is really good and I'm doing really well. But before long, my discipline, discipline slips and I'm praying kind of infrequently again. Why is that? Are only the incredibly disciplined people... My wife comes to mind. She's incredibly disciplined. Do only they have this consistent prayer life? Keller links prayer consistency with what is hallowed in our lives. He says, if the thing you adore is not God, then you will only pray when that thing is in jeopardy. Did you get that? If the thing you adore is not God, then you will only pray when that thing is in jeopardy. If our ultimate concern is something other than God, when all is okay with that which we value most, we have no need to pray. We don't need God because He's just our cosmic bailer-outer. And as long as we don't need to be bailed out, we don't really need Him. But when our ultimate concern is threatened, boy, our prayer life springs to life and we run to God in desperation. It's as if we have changed that prayer, hallowed be thy name, to hallowed be my thing. God's peace. And so, we have this thing that is most important in my life. And God, your job is to make sure it stays safe and sound. And then when God doesn't bow to our idol and take care of it for us, we get angry at God and wonder if this Christianity stuff is what it's really cracked up to be. Because God didn't honor my ultimate concern. You can see then how it would be possible to pray and pray and pray and never find peace because God's job is not to hallow our things. God calls us to hallow His name. So since coming to understand this, I've started to remind myself of it several times a day. You know, it's it's easy throughout my week at least to have competing things try to push their way into the most important place in my life. And as I'm struggling with those competing priorities and what I want most and I start to uh, maybe not be content about something I ask myself, or God asks me, what is it that you want? What do you want most? And I've started as a a practice to just say, you know, I want God. That's what I want first. This thing is squeezing its way in. No, what I want first is God. And it works in the big decisions and the everyday events. Now, I have to give you a caution. I don't want to imply that if you get this right, you will never struggle with fear again or that things will never be difficult. In fact, I think the psalm just says, the psalm that we read, Psalm 3, says that that's not true at all. I think it indicates that things were incredibly difficult for David. David was fighting some major internal battles as he was writing this psalm. How do I know that? That verse 3 that we read tells us, but it doesn't say it directly. And I think I'm going to give you a model for prayer in just a minute that goes with verse 3. 
David says, but you, O Lord, are a shield around me. Now, in those days, there were two kinds of shields. One was this round shield that you could hold in one hand, and then you could hold your sword in the other hand, and you could fight and block and fight and block. And that was one kind of shield, but that's not the kind of shield that David is talking about. There's another kind of shield that is used as an army is in formation. And this kind of shield is about the size of a door, and it, it wraps around you like this. Now, this shield is used when you are on the offensive, meaning it works when you are, have chosen to go into danger. See, David says, God, you are leading me here. You're leading me into this dangerous place. And I know you're a shield around me. See, this, this shield doesn't work if you turn, because it's up here and the army's back here. If you turn and, and you're not following God and you're not hallowing His name and you're running away from being obedient, you're exposed. But if you're following God and you're following His plan and you're moving forward to where He has called you, He is a shield around you. And so, sometimes, God's call to us is to not safe places. Sometimes, God's itinerary for us is into danger. And yet, God promises, I am going to be a shield around you. So David is scared. But he has this promise of who God is. Now, I said David has this model of prayer, and so I want to give you that. David takes his concern. God, I'm going into this dangerous place. And he translates it. Instead of saying a whole bunch about worrying in God's direction. Oh, Lord, this is terrible, and how could you let this happen, and blah, 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 blah. He translates that into a character of who God is and how that addresses his fear. So let me give you some examples. Well, first of all, I already told you, you are a shield around me. The second thing he says is that... Um, let's see, got to get this. You are my glory. David's second concern here is, I'm losing my status as king. People don't respect me. They don't honor me. Who am I if I'm not the king? And instead of saying, oh God, all these people, I'm the king, they should respect me. God said, David says, but Lord, it doesn't matter what they think, because you are my glory. All these people have all these bad things to say about me. You know what? I've got to remind myself, you are my glory. The third thing he says is, you are the lifter of my head. Now, now, do you remember? I don't know if you remember, but when people would come into a king's presence, they would bow down so that the king's head is higher than everybody else. Well, Absalom now has raised his head above David's and said, I am supreme over you, David, and I'm coming after you. What's David got to hang on to? 
All of these other people say, we're not bowing to David. David has no authority over us. What does David do? He translates that into who God is. God, you are the lifter of my head. If I'm going to be king, if I'm going to be in this position of authority, if I'm going to be safe on the throne of Israel, it will be because of you. Because you are the lifter of my head. And so, there is this um, model of prayer. As I, I said earlier in the service, there is indeed trouble all around. Many of you sitting here today, I could say things that are going on in your life. Even just outside of here, we hear all these headlines around the world and trouble everywhere. But we believe that there is another reality at work. We've been adopted into a kingdom that has a different set of realities than the kingdoms of this world. We are children of the king. God is supreme reality. He's at work in ways that don't get reported on any news channel. Many of you can testify to those words of Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble. But then Jesus says, My peace I give you. My peace. I give you not as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And then he says, I'm a shield around you. And so, I moved this to a little bit different place today because I wanted to take some time to first sing a couple songs that I know you probably are familiar with the, the song, It Is Well With My Soul, and even the story behind that and the author and what went on in his life, and how he was able to come and say, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you've taught me to say it is well. And then I want us to take some time where we do David's model of prayer.